gadgets here. Wow, thank you. That was awesome. Well, I got a couple minutes of your time. <coughs> I want to cough in your face. I got a couple minutes of your time before we, uh, we go on with uh, Celebrate Life and uh, all that this entails, which is great. It's fun. I'm going bowling tomorrow. It's my new sport. Uh, this is a very familiar passage that I want to share with you. Man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, Exhilarating. Oh, it's the only way I can, I can, you know, this isn't a carnal thing. And that's probably not a word from your generation. It's not a selfish thing. I don't get a kick out of speaking. Uh, I find it incredibly, um, it is such a responsibility to get into your mind. And I consider that uh, deafening sometimes. Very difficult. And I struggle. I, I struggle. I struggle if you hear what I want you to hear. I really want you to hear this tonight. And I like these kind of settings. Uh, get you all at once. Tonight's passage, and I want to share with you, and you can turn there, but it's really familiar. You know this. You've, you've quoted it. You've, you've learned it. You've memorized it. You've heard the story. You probably didn't understand it like I haven't understood it, but I would like to share it with you this evening. It comes out of the book of John, chapter 2, and it's the story of uh, at least the first half. We're not going to have time to look the whole, whole thing. Uh, but it's the story of Jesus in the temple, and, uh, which has really been exciting for me. And it's, uh, oh, it's going to be great. So I want to share with you the first few verses. It's uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. <coughs> Pardon me. Yes, see, there's more than one here. <clears throat> chapter, 12, uh, or chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And I want to read this for you at this time. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days when it was almost time... When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Um, Sometimes, and hey, maybe you're like me, but sometimes you read passages and uh, you, you rush through them so quickly because you know them. You ever do that? You rush through them and you know them that you, you really seem to miss what the author's talking about. There is something. I'm growing. I'm growing like a weed. God's been doing some new things in me that he's never done before. And uh, it's really been coming through the book of John. And it's, it's come. Uh, it's come. <laughs> it's came. Yeah, I went to all of it. It, uh, it, it came about, uh, it really came about through uh, some people inquiring about me. They really say, well, you know, hey, I was going to come in here. Are you going to preach out of John again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they say, I really like what you're talking about. Sometimes it all sounds like, no, I'm cool, thanks. Sometimes it sounds like, you know, uh, the same thing. And, well, hey, maybe that's true. But uh, I've really come to love this guy by the name of John. Do you know why I like him so much? Because, yeah, he's a simple guy. Do you know who John was? John wasn't a theologian. In fact, I am absolutely sure that if you would meet John, if he was happened to be transported 
into our day and age, and you, were having, you would happen to bump into him at your local gas station, he'd be wearing a Carhartt, jeans and boots. He'd have dirt under his fingernails. He'd look kind of strange. Because he was an ordinary, average, everyday Joe. Now, that may not mean too much to you, but you see, it means everything to me. Because he understands me. This guy is so much like you teenagers. If you could, if you could grasp a hold of this. In fact, in terms of his educational pursuit, you have more education than this guy did. He was a fisherman. Yeah, I know. He's a fisherman. He wasn't, in, he wasn't extremely intellectual. He was a simple guy. And he seems to have the same message, the same thing, and it's all different passages, and he comes at it from the same, from, from, from di- the same message from a different perspective. And I need that, man. Because I believe, and I, and, I, and I want you to keep coming and listening to me as much as you can handle, but I really believe the Word has one message. I want you to do something for me. I believe that John, and I'm going to talk about this just for a second longer, when you read through the Gospel of John, what he does oftentimes is he implores or he, he goes back and he takes Old Testament passages and shows how they were fulfilled throughout his book. And he's doing that here in this passage. He's, uh, he's talking uh, about Jesus and his celebration of the Jewish Passover, which was an Old Testament story found in Exodus. Very good. Thank you. Whew. Yeah, found in Exodus. It's the story of the, it's the Passover, the Passover celebration, the Exodus from Egypt. Remember all that? Had our big figure there, Moses, that whole story. Okay, good, I'll tell you about it in a second. But he, he, he's, that, that's what he's talking about here. And he's talking about, and this is what God's really been doing in me. He's been talking about the plan of God and how, in a some real way, the plan of God is the same for each and every one of us. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. The plan of God is the same for each and every one of us. And it's all about, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but it's all about intimacy with him. It's all about knowing Him. Now, I need to clarify knowing Him because knowing Him is not the type of knowing Him that you know knowing Him, that you would say knowing Him, that we would say knowing Him, knowing Him. Not that kind of knowing Him. Uh, for instance, you go to school and someone says, hey, uh, do you know Jesus? Oh, oh yeah. Hey, I know. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, He lives down at my church. Yeah. Yeah, I know Him. Yeah. He's in the Bible, right? Yeah, beard, long hair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know Him. From Jew- He's a Jerusalem car- carpenter guy, right? Yeah, I seen, him on the bu- I seen him on the bumper sticker. I know that guy. I passed him every day on the way home from school, and I wave, hey. And he's standing in the window going, see you Sunday. Yeah, I know that guy. That's not the type of knowing I'm talking about. The type of knowing that I'm talking about, this knowing Jesus, is, a, is an intimate thing. And throughout the New Testament and the Old, mind you, this knowing Jesus is always talked about in terms of marriage. Yeah, that's... That's crazy. Marriage. You don't want to know, guys, what it's like to know Jesus? Marry a woman. You'll really learn about Jesus. Because knowing someone like I know my wife, Paul uses his illustrations. Uh, it's this intimacy. It's, 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 it's living with someone. It's, it's sharing your life with someone. It's being covenanted with someone. I've said this. And I've been finding myself, without planning it, saying it more and more in services. I don't know where you're at. And I want you to take this, pastors and youth pastors and youth leaders, and especially you teens. I want you to take this with as much force as you can take it. Whatever you're doing in your life, 
Are you hearing me? Because he's brought me back to this. Whatever is going on in my life, hey, my devotions, my church service, uh, my singing worship, my prayer, all of that stuff we would consider things that we do as a Christian. If all of that stuff you do is not bringing you into intimacy with God, I would dump it. I would dump it. I would chuck it out the window and I would try something else. Because if you're wrapped up into this kind of stuff right here and it's not bringing you into intimacy with God, you have missed it. I believe that's the truth. Because I don't think Jesus is going to stand at the pearly gates, if we want to call them pearly gates, and say, Jeremiah, wow, this guy was in church all the time. Yeah, Prayed before every meal. Never missed a Sunday. I don't, I don't think that's going to be the deal. In fact, do you know how Matthew talks about it? Matthew says, on that day, he's talking about, he's listening to Jesus, and Jesus says, on that day, many, didn't say a couple, and he's talking to Christians here. He says, many on that day, many, how many? Many. Many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he doesn't pick like the little Christian stuff like going to church, uh, reading your Bible, uh, tithing, uh, paying the evangelist. Didn't, didn't pick the little stuff. He didn't pick the little stuff. Do you know what he picks? He picks the big time Christian deeds. Many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. Wow, I was an evangelist, man. I healed in your name. I prophesied in your name. I... And he's going to say, What's your name? So what if it's all about this? What if it's about knowing him? What if the plan of God for your life is not some mysterious college fund that's going to come in? What if that's not it, man? I didn't get a mysterious college fund. I worked three jobs. That was my mysterious college fund. plan of God for my life is intimacy with Him. I want you to think about that tonight when we look at this passage because that's what He's talking about, the plan of God. Can I pray with you? Why don't you pray with me? Father, we love you this evening and I am excited about your word. Perhaps I'm learning for the very first time that, hey, these services are not dependent upon how hyped up I get or they're not dependent upon how well I preach. They're not dependent upon that kind of stuff. They're dependent upon the truth that's laying in the pages. The truth that your Holy Spirit takes farther than my mouth can, farther than my hand gestures, farther than my passion. Oh God, take this truth tonight, the truth of your plan of intimacy with you that we can now have through your Son, Jesus Christ. And would you burn it in these teenagers' mind and hearts. I really want that tonight in my life. I'm so tired of, of measuring my Christian life with how many revivals I preach. I'm so tired of, of measuring how my walk is by, you know, if I didn't curse today or if I, I didn't steal today or if I didn't look at that person that way or if I didn't lie. I'm tired of that kind of stuff. I'm so tired of that. I want to know you. I want to have intimacy with you. I want to walk with you. Hey, open my mind. Open my heart. I invite you to have a relationship with me. And I believe this is the prayer of our heart in this place. 
And we ask it in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Okay, well, let's look at this passage briefly, and then we'll get you into your basketball games. That was just a little evangelistic joke. It's okay. As bad as Eric Willits, I know. Okay, I want to share this passage with you. And it says in verse 12... uh, You're really going to like this. It says in verse 12, After this, he went down to Capernaum. Now, what's he talking about, this after this language? Uh, Jesus has just got out of this wedding type thing. Uh, It wasn't a wedding. He crashed. He's got these 12 guys uh, with him. He was invited to this wedding. And uh, we're going to be talking about this at this church this weekend, as a matter of fact, so I won't go into too much detail. But the idea here is is that he showed up at this wedding uh, invited. He, you know how it is. He received a card in the mail and said, hey, you're invited. So-and-so is getting married. And uh, how many guests are you bringing? He puts 12. And he shows up at this wedding. He's got all these guests with him. And they were invited. And it's his home turf. He knows what's going on. He knows the people there. He grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee. And this, way, uh, this wedding is in Cana, which is also in... So he probably knew him. He walks in and everybody's like, whoa, it's Jesus. What's going on? Hey, man, my wheel broke. Hey, how you doing, man? I need to come by next week and they know him. Hey, Jesus, Big J, what's up? What's going on? They knew him. He wasn't rabbi. He wasn't special. He was one of the guys. That's kind of, that's kind of what's going on here. And this awesome scene is just spilled out. Well, he leaves there and it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum, which ended up being almost like a home base for him, he and his disciples. And then it says this, there he stayed for a few days. And when it says, when it was almost time, verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. In other words, it wasn't time for the Jewish Passover. Now, you're not Jewish. At least you weren't born a couple thousand years ago. So you might not understand the significance of the Jewish Passover. I, hey, I know about the Jewish Passover. I know the story of the Jewish Passover. Hey, I've read that kind of stuff before, but I never understood it. I never understood this before. You see, the Jewish Passover to them was almost like our Christmas. What? You don't like Christmas? <laughs> I love Christmas. Uh, how do I tell you this? I got married, and Corinda's um, family is not like my family. We don't have family reunions. Everybody in my family, they don't like each other. So we, we uh, it's real small. But Corinda's family, they're like, you know, a family. They, they, everyone gets together. Everyone buys for everyone. So I make out like a bandit every year. And uh, this year's Christmas was great. And uh, you're going to think I'm childish. But I still get those uh, Christmas Eve jitters where you can't sleep. Do you get that? Come on, someone get that. Don't make me feel stupid. Do you get that? Yes. Good. I get that. I get that Christmas Eve jitters where you're laying there, and we still have it at my family's house. Everybody comes home around Thanksgiving. I try to schedule it in, which is a funny story in and of itself. But I come home, and and we set up the the Christmas tree. I have my own little bulb that you painted when you were like five. Remember that? Okay, anyway, and I have my little bulb there, and I hang that thing up, and we're excited, and I come home, and it, it, it's the Christmas tree, and you walk through in the morning, you step on a, on a little needle, and you're like, ah, and you're like, wow, Christmas, and you take it out, and, and, and you're excited about this thing, and it never, ever, ever fails, it never, ever fails that I still get psyched about Christmas. Now, there's a whole message in that, because I think we've lost a little bit what Christmas is, but that's a little bit of the excitement, and maybe I'm reading into this passage, but that's okay. Because you see, Jesus, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. That is a statement about Jeremiah Bullock. Because I still get up at 3 o'clock in the morning going, Oh, hey, it's Christmas. You open our presents now? 
Go back to bed, Jeremiah. Okay. Hey, it's 3.45. Is it morning yet? Yeah, well, look at that sun. Wow, let's get to the... That's... Okay, you weren't like that, but that's how I am. You get up in the morning, you're anxious, and you got them all stacked up, and you know which ones you're going to open first, and all that kind of... I mean, I dig that. Still dig that. I really see that a little bit in Jesus. Because it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, he's going, hey, hey, well, we better get there. I mean, it's only like 20 minutes away. We've got, you know, it's a two-day, well, hey, what, what, happened? what if something happens? Let's go, let's go. And so he rushes them off to the Jewish Passover. Now, the Jewish Passover, I don't know if you really understand the whole story. It goes way back. You want to hear this? Too bad. It goes way back to Egypt. You see, the Jewish Passover was, was huge to them. It was huge to them. It all began with a guy by the name of Jacob who had his name changed to Israel. And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve, which we get the twelve tribes of? Well, one of those boys was a guy by the name of Joseph. And uh, kind of a spoiled kid. He had this nice coat. And he was always, he was like a daddy's, mommy's boy. He hung around the tents. And all of his other brothers had to go out and work. Well, apparently one day he goes out to his brothers and uh, he walks out there and he sees them working and he says, Hey, what's up, guys? No, don't stop working. Keep working. Keep working. Just wanted to show you guys this new coat I got. Isn't it nice? Don't stop. Keep working. Keep working. Isn't it nice? Yeah. Dad got it for me. Yeah. Don't get any dust on it. Come on. Back up a little bit. And he goes, oh, and before I leave, I want to tell you about this dream I had. Oh, it's really cool. I had this dream. Keep working. I had this dream that uh, uh, there were these stars. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I was a star. And uh, it went something like this. And all these stars, which are you guys, were surrounding me and were bowing down, <laughs> worshiping me. It was great. It was a wonderful dream. And they're like, no, it's not a good dream at all. Pah! And they pummel him. And they... <laughs> you remember that story? And they rip his coat. And they throw him down this well, going... Ha! And they dip it in blood. And they say, oh, yeah, hey, we'll tell Dad that he got ravished by an, uh, by an animal, eaten up, whatever. And then one of the brothers goes, no, no, I don't want to kill him. And besides, that is, that's too quick. I know what we'll do. We'll sell him on the slave trade to Egypt. And so they, I don't know how they got him out, but they got him out somehow. And they jerked him out of this well. And this slave parade comes by or something. And they're going to Egypt, and they say, hey, you want, want him? Hey, you want him? He's not worth much. In fact, just take him in. They sell him to the slave trade people, and they take him on into Egypt. Uh, of course, the brothers tell their dad. You remember the story? It's really neat. Tells dad, hey, he got killed by animals. Here's his cloak. Here's his robe. Yeah, we're just torn up about it. And they mourn, and that's the story. Well, what happens is, is um, of course, Joseph gets taken off into Egypt, and he gets bought by Potiphar, you know the whole deal, and he ends up really rising to power in Egypt. And God blesses him, and God's got a plan for his life, and all of this, and you see the plan, which is phenomenal. You see the plan of God being worked, conquering, in the most unlikely of circumstances, which is really the story of my life. I don't know how that plans, uh, applies to your life. But man, that applies to my life. And nonetheless, what happens is, is uh, of course, uh, Joseph gets put in power. He interprets these dreams, talks about these famines that are going to come, and, of course, and interprets the future, and he, he's in charge of storing all the grain. You know the stories. And what happens is the great famine strikes, and his family ends up coming in for help. He, he, he takes the youngest uh, brother, tells his family to go back, and you know how it is, and the whole, the whole uh, thing is uncovered, and they realize that it's Joseph. And all of the people of Israel, all of Jacob and his family, come under the protection for a time under Egypt. 
And this is how they got into Egypt. And they flourished there. And, and God, God worked uh, mightily under, uh, for them. And they were under the protection. And Egypt was awesome during that time. It was, it was the global power of their day. But what happens is, is a, new king, a new king after a time comes on the throne and didn't know Joseph or his family and didn't know all that. And he began to be a little intimidated because the Hebrews, is how he referred to them, well, they had multiplied. They had flourished. And he was scared, the king was scared, that they were going to try to overthrow Egypt. And so what he does is, and this is a neat story, I don't know if you know this, he calls these midwives aside. And he says, listen, the Hebrews are coming, becoming too numerous. So what I want you to do is when the Hebrew women are about to give birth, you're to show up, and if they give birth to a girl, you'll let her live. But if, you give, if she gives birth to a boy, you kill him. You're going to kill him. And so what happens, though, is that the Hebrew midwives feared God instead of the king, and they didn't do so. The king gets mad, calls them back in, and says, what's your problem? Gave you command, you didn't do it. And the Hebrew midwives feared God, and they told the king, well, hey, the girls, uh, our Hebrew girls, are a little bit you know, stronger, a little bit more uh, vigorous than uh, you Egyptian women, your Egyptian women, and they give birth to the kids before we even get there, and that's how it happens. And so this king declares this decree and, all, and kills all the, the boys uh, when they're born and slaughters. That's his, uh, that's his solution to the plan. Well, there's this woman who gives birth to this little baby. You'll come to know him as Moses. She hides him for three months, <clears throat> but realizes she can't hide him any longer. And of course, the Israelite uh, people are being oppressed by the Egyptians. I mean, just oh, brutal, brutal, brutal slavery. Worked, worked, worked. And of course, uh, she takes little Moses, which doesn't have a name yet, puts him in this basket uh, that she makes, puts him in the river. He goes down the river, uh, river. His older sister follows him. You know the story. Pharaoh's daughter finds him and goes, it's a boy. And she keeps him. And she goes, hey, tells this little girl to go, for, or tells one of her maidservants to go find a woman to take care of it. Happens to be his mother. That's the story. And Moses is, uh, is protected under the Egyptian family. Now, the point of all what's going on here is the Passover is that eventually, of course, Moses leaves. He goes to Midian. He comes back. And God has sent him there to tell the Pharaoh, tell the king, hey, who more than likely he knows that God said, let his people go. And the most powerful. Now, I don't like to use the United States very much. And I probably shouldn't in this circumstance, but I'm going to. We are real powerful. Do you know that? United States, we have it very good here. We have it very good here. In fact, I saw a little poster on one of your pastors. I forget who it was, Dor. And uh, it was this little, (laughs) it was a picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and uh, multiplied fish. And there's this, and it says modern day teenager. And she's going, I don't like fish. (laughs) Something like that. We have it good. We have it good. We don't have fish. We have burgers. We have tacos. Taco Bell's got a great new taco out. And uh, we have that kind of stuff. We have it great. The Egyptians was the power of their day, you guys. I want you to hear it. I want you to understand that. You see, the Egyptian, the, the Egyptian kingdom, Egypt, the Pharaoh, hey, that was the power of their day. They were the elite of the elite. And these were the Hebrew slaves. Hebrew slaves, led by Moses. Led by Moses. By this time, an older fella. And he comes in and says, hey, God says, let my people go. Hey, let them out. Hey, free the, free the slaves. Free, hey, 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 my God has spoken. Their God has spoken. Our God has spoken. And of course, the Egypt guy says no. Pharaoh guy says no. And so there's these period of plagues that come. And it comes down to the last one, which is what the celebration is all about, was the Passover. And on the Passover, every, every Israelite family in Egypt was to stay in their home that evening. And they were to go through this ritual, and they were to take this lamb, and they were to slaughter it. 
and they were to take its blood and put it above the doorposts and above the frames and all this. And they were to have this meal. And in the middle of the night, when the death angel came over, when the death angel came over, if it came to that house where it saw the blood, it would not enter that house. But if it didn't see the blood, it would enter that house and kill the firstborn of that house. And there was great weeping and wailing in Egypt. And of course, they were able to leave. And they were not only able to leave, but they were able to leave. The Egyptians gave them money. Gave them money, which is where they got all the provisions to build the temple. And this was the story. And so the people in Jesus' day, and it was a little bit different, but I want you guys got to understand this. You see, the, the, the Jewish Passover, and I wish I had time to tell you about this, but you'll kick me out of here. We've missed it with Christmas. I think sometimes even as a Christian, I've missed it with Christmas, man. I don't know how it is in your family, but it's borderlining in our family. We're too even lazy to go out and get gifts anymore. It's all gift certificates. <laughs> and it's, you get me what I want, and I'll get you what you want. It's a big self-centered holiday. We, we've missed it, man. And it's, there's no, hey, I mean, we've missed it. And the Jewish Passover, that, that, that Jewish celebration, it was a celebration. And what was it a celebration about? As Christmas is supposed to be about, Christmas is a celebration of our Savior, man. Hey, when Christ come down and we're able to have a relationship with God again through Christ. Woo! Yeah, I know. Isn't that exciting? Don't get too excited on me. That's Christmas. And it's the same for the, the Jewish Passover. I mean, this excitement. It was a celebration of God's providing, of His covenant, of His of his making away of this, this awesome God who's delivered his people out of the most, you know, fortified city of their day. This is what's going on here. This is the celebration. This is, what, this is what's happening. Well, we read our passage and it says, this is what Jesus is expecting. And he's made his way into Jerusalem. And of course, there was lots of preparations to make. Of course, they had to stay together and they had to, uh, uh, you come into Jerusalem and all these people were coming there and there was just all this stuff to do. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and this is what happens. It says, verse 13, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he says, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? How dare you do this? Now, when I was your age, I heard this was about eating in the sanctuary. And that's how God deals with those who sneak soda pop in my sanctuary. <laughs> This isn't about soda pop in the sanctuary. Uh, this isn't even about selling stuff in the temple courts. That wasn't the big deal because that, that stuff was necessary. You had people that were coming from out of town and, and uh, they had to buy all their materials with, certain, with, with temple money because they had all these different types of money. At this time, uh, all, a lot of Jews lived outside of Jerusalem, to make a long story short. And they had to come in and so there was this, there was this buying money from the money changers and you had to have a certain type of money. But you see, there was... There was a crookedness in all of this. There was a crookedness in all this. Jesus was upset because he did the, the, the whole atmosphere of celebration. Are you hearing me? The whole atmosphere of celebration, the whole atmosphere of, wow, it's God, it's all about Him, has turned into a way to make money. How did it do that, you ask? 
Well, when you come into uh, the average family, let's say, comes into Jerusalem for the Passover, and they have to bring a lamb, and that lamb has to be without spot or blemish. And of course, they have to go and present that to the, uh, to the, the priest at the temple, and he has to inspect that, all that kind of stuff. Well, of course, he goes up to the temple, and he's got his lamb, and he's got to get some other things and some spices and herbs and all that stuff he's going to need for the Passover meal. And he comes up, and he hands his lamb over to inspect it, and of course, the, the uh, high priest and, or one of the priests are looking at it, and they're going, oh, blemish, right here, blemish. And now, now you got this guy who's just come from this far land, and what's he going to do now? He's got this lamb on his hands. He can't use it for the t- uh, he can't use it for the uh, for the Passover meal. Now he's stuck with this lamb for a week. You can't keep that thing in the motel. What are you going to do with it? You going to tie it outside? You got to feed it? Hey, all kinds of problems. And so the the priest looks at this guy and he says, "Listen, hey, I understand your predicament. I tell you what, let me take it off your hands." And of course the guy goes, "Oh, could you do that for me?" Sure, I will. I'll buy it from you. But you understand, uh, this is the bar, and this lamb here is a blemished lamb. So I can't give you bar price. I'm going to have to give you under the market price. And the guy says, well, hey, better than nothing. Take the lamb. And so he takes the lamb. But now, hear this now. Now, now he's got to go and he's got to buy a lamb. So he pulls out his money and he says, hey, I've got, uh, got to buy a lamb now. And the guy says, uh-uh, we don't accept that kind of money. Only temple money. You've got to talk to the money changers down there on the other side of the temple. So they go all the way to the other side of the temple and they've got to buy temple money. But temple money is not your standard money. It's not your standard money. You see, it's above the bar money. And so you've got to buy $5, let's say, or say $10 worth of temple money to buy the $10 lamb uh, or buy whatever the lamb cost. And so you have to pay more to get the temple money. And your money is, well, it's way over their money. And, it's... and so they turn a nice little profit on that. Well, they come back time later after waiting in line and going through the hassle. You know how Walmart is during the Christmas season. And they come all the way back and he's got his money for the lamb now and he walks up to the priest and he goes, hey, hey I'm back. Hey, I want to buy that lamb. You got temple money? Yes, I do. Well, you're in business. All right. Uh, how much is it? Wow, they're expensive. Yeah, but you understand, here is the bar for the lamb, and you're buying a, blam, a lamb without spot or blemish. And so he goes, well, it must be a good lamb. So he pays for it, and he reaches down to grab the lamb, and he goes, whoa, that's my lamb. It's been healed. And so he picks up the lamb, and he looks around, and, and the guy goes, no, no, that's not your lamb. No, that's not. It just looks like your lamb. Well, it does look like my lamb. And he buys the lamb, and he takes it back. And this kind of thing went on and on. Do you see through that? They say that there was some million people in the city during that week. Some 250,000, you can read the commentators on it, some 250,000 lambs were sacrificed during that week. Now let's say they made 10 bucks a lamb on that. How much is that, math majors? 2,500,000. Just in one week. That's some money. Do you see what happened? You see what, what went on there? And Jesus comes into the temple. He comes into this scene. It's the celebration. It's a celebration of God. And I wasn't going to mention this, but I'm going to mention it. I wonder what Jesus would do. Wow. And to think that he is here. I wonder what he's doing during Christmas. At Walmart. Well, they bought for us. You guys go through that? Well, they bought for us last year. Fucking idiot again. Okay, get them a gift certificate. Fine. Do they eat red lobster? Everyone eats red lobster. Merry Christmas. Oh, really? Another gift certificate. All right. Give it to Johnson's. We exchange the gift certificates. Get one over here, pass it over there. 
and it's turned into this. Now you may think that's joking, but brother, that's that's my world. And I struggle with that. Because that's not what it's about, man. That's not what it's about. And I struggled with that, man. So I started giving cards this year. You probably don't want to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I started giving cards this year. And I say, I'm, hey, my Christmas gift to you, along with the cheesy gift certificate that I have to give you because you got me something, is that I'm going to pray for you for one month, man. I want you to know that every day I'm praying for you. And my relatives go, okay, cool. But that's that's. It's bringing it back some. Does that make sense? I know it probably won't work, but it's bringing it back some. It's taking their focus and going, ah, this is what Christmas is about. And Jesus, Jesus comes into the temple and he's irate. But I, don't, I would interpret this anger. I would interpret it passion. It's how all evangelists are. He comes into the temple and he sees that their focus is not on, what's it on? And so he makes a whip out of cords and he flips over some tables and he whips a person over there and whip, got you too and, and takes a key and you know, the sheep and the money changer and he's get these out of here and you've turned the whole Passover celebration the focus on to a focus on. That was their deal. And the whole Passover celebration which is all about we're celebrating you. That's what worship is all about. Hey, we're celebrating you. Hey, you, you've provided a way. You brought your plan about that you've conquered. You've provided. You're sovereign. I trust you. They turned all of that into a, a money-making scheme. They, they dumped all of that stuff for, we'll use this. And that's what he was upset about. Now, if you're like me, you'll look at that and go, ooh, man, they're bad, aren't they? Do you think so? That's not good. And maybe you even look down your nose like I do a little bit at them and go, man, I'd never do anything like that. And then you stop. And you realize that what was the whole plan about anyway? Well, the whole plan was about that, you know, God wanted me to come to church on Sunday. Well, that's the big deal. Yeah. And he wants me to go to Olivet. That's what Warren tells me. It's God's will. Yeah, I've got to go to Olivet. That's what it is. And uh, hey, I, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. And I don't lie or steal or have sex before marriage. That's what he wants. No. <laughs> do you really believe that? What does God want in my life? He wants me to read my Bible more. That's what he wants. Yes. And wear a suit on Sunday. Is that what he wants in your life? Come on. If I were to talk to each and every one of you, and I'm going to try my best, what does God want to do in your life desperately? Well, he wants me to come to Sunday school more often. That's what he wants me to do. Are you kidding me? Do you know what Jesus tells me? Jeremiah, I want to be bigger in your eyes than whatever you put before me. We look at them because they put this before him. What do you put before him? What's coming in between you and the intimacy that he desires? I don't care about your church service. I'm so tired of that kind of stuff. Do you put clothing before him? But it's in style, Mom. Well, I know you can see through the whole thing, but still, it's cool. What do you put before him, man? 
And see, I, I don't want to impose this stuff on you because I start imposing it on you. And then there's rules and legalism, and I don't want... You know him. I've been taking marriage counseling. I was a real prideful person last week. And uh, I've really been finding that I need to drop that. You didn't catch that. I was a really prideful person last week. You didn't get that. Am I really that boring? <laughs> so I, I, we started going and talking, and I, I realized that my wife... We read this book. I can't believe I'm telling you this. It's called The Five Languages of Love. You ever heard that? I gotta learn my... She's got a love language. And her love language is not, I love you. <laughs> That's not her love language. Hello? <laughs> I said, I love you. That's my love language. Well, excuse me. <laughs> so I can tell my wife I love her, but she doesn't say... She doesn't hear that. Man, that's weird. I used to think it was a girl thing. But it's not... Because my love language is not that either. I, either. It's not that either. <laughs> I got a really weird love language. None of your business what that is. But see, <laughs> we've, got these, we've got these love languages. And I communicate. I communicate. Now, this may be stretching it in your book. But do you know what Jesus' love language is? Tithe. That's what it is. It's tithe. Ask the pastor, I'm telling you. It's tithe. <laughs> no, it's not tithe. What's, the, what, what's, the, what's Jesus' love language? Oh, it's reading my Bible. It's going to Sunday school. It's not looking at those girls like I used to. That's what it is. No. No, that's not it. That's, that's not his love language, man. That, that's not it. That's not it. What is it? Hey, I invite you to play basketball with me tonight. I invite you in my thought life. I invite you into every intimate area of my life. I want to learn to trust you. I want to walk with you. I'm not into doing the minimum. I want to know you. Did you know Paul said that in his day? And it must have sounded so, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. And I think that's less theology. I think that's less theological than we say it is. I think that's practical. What was Jesus mad about here? Well, they weren't coming to church on Sunday morning. They weren't supporting that. No, man. You've got to be kidding me. No, it wasn't over that kind of stuff. What was it over? They let things get bigger in their eyes than him. Teenager, I want you to take all your religious stuff that you do. That may not be bad. Coming to church is not bad. Paul even encourages it. You're supposed to gather together. It's a body thing. But you can come to church every day for the rest of your life and not know Jesus. If anyone knows me or heard me, I've been bouncing on this one for two years. Wake up. Come on. Do you know him? Do you know him like that? What's so amazing is when his disciples begin to follow him. Listen to me on this. When his disciples begin to follow him, you know he didn't give them a list? That blows me away. They came down to the altar and he says, okay, now listen, you've got to cut your hair. You've got to change those clothes. That's right. Just, yeah, that's right. Change those clothes. Yeah, take off that bread. Yeah, stop listening to that music. No, he didn't say that. He said, what's your name? Wow. Wow. Do you like to play ping pong? Oh, me too. I bet I could take you. All right, well. And there's this began to develop. And he walked with them and he talked with them. Wow. That is me and Jesus, man. Do you know him like that? Are you walking with him like that? Or are you one of these people?
we love you tonight, Lord Jesus. Keep me simple. Keep me from keep me from the sin of pridefulness of sounding more theological than the next guy. Keep me centered on you like John was. After walking with you for three years and 60 years of following you, he writes the book in his old age. And he says, it's about knowing him. It's about walking with him. It's about spending my days with him. I want to know you like that. Because I found in knowing you like that, my life somehow is changed. I'm molded. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And hey, I like to be practical as much as I can. I know we don't have time for... But is He talking to your heart tonight? If it's going to make you feel comfortable, I'm not going to ask for an altar call, alright? But is He talking to you tonight? Hey, let, let, let's... I've already told you, we're not going to have an altar call, so let's dump that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's, let's dump that. Dump that fear. Hey, dump that, I'm going to come down. Dump that, should I come down, should I not come down? Who's going to, Dump all of that kind of stuff. It's you and Him. And if you don't know Him like that, ask Him. Say, hey man, I want to know you like that. And let Him begin to come into your life. Don't be making promises you can't keep. Hey, okay, I'm going to start doing this better. I'm not going to do... Just kind of take that and push that aside. Stand face to face with Him. Say, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to know you. What I want to know you in the midst of my, my hall, the hallways of my high school. I want to know you in my, in my dating life. I want to know you in my thought life. I want to know you in the music that I listen to you. Hey, I want to know you. Because I don't know you like that minister is telling me that I should. I don't know you like that passage is talking about. I don't know you like that. Would you be willing? Hey, would you be willing? Let me pray with you. Father, we love you. I don't want to be legalistic even in preaching. I believe some of us are walking in the only light we know of. I believe some of us are walking the only way we know how. Open our eyes. Hey, open my eyes. I'm a child. I want to, I want to learn to walk with you. Let our roots run deep. I pray, Father, not for... Uh, wealth for these guys, not for even health. I pray that you might give them wisdom beyond their years. I pray that you might place a hunger inside of them for you, which is already there. Intensify that. Open their eyes to it. Give them a hunger for your word. The only satisfaction for that hunger is truth and it comes from you because you are truth. We love you so much tonight. And we're going to have a phenomenal time, Lord. And I invite you in the midst of it. Hey, I invite you in the midst of our fun games. You want to go out tonight with us. You want to spend time with your people. We invite you. You're incredible. And we do worship and honor you. 
Father, we thank you for this time of, uh, that has uh, been provided by the district. We have phenomenal district leaders. We really believe in our leaders and we pray for them tonight. Father, give them wisdom and direction and pray, Father, for the safety of those of us who are here. Watch over your children tonight and bind the enemy, Father. Don't let it uh, turn into things that would dishonor you or, or shame you or turn your head from us. We want to give you glory in everything we do in the sports and the competition. We want to give praise to you. Be glorified in all things. And Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Sorry I preached too long. Um, it's five till nine. Got a couple minutes. Thank you, Jeremiah. Yes. I truly hope that you took what he said tonight.